We're in uh, sermon number three here in God of Miracles today, and we ended at the end of John chapter four, um, and it transitions right into the next miracle, the third miracle in the book of John, and uh, we're going to fly through this because we don't have much time this morning because we've had a lot going on in the message, so we're going to fly through this, um, and we're going to read from John chapter five right now, verses one to 18, and um, we're, we're just going to plow through it, so I'm going to have you stand with me in honor of the word. It's okay. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told, Je- told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. God's word's awesome. Have a seat. Father, we invite you right now to speak to our hearts, please, and that in the brief time that we have, that you would just uh, speak right where we are in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's time to think about where we're stuck. Where are we stuck? As a congregation, as families, as personal people, where are the places we're stuck? Where are you stuck? What's the unhealthy mental pattern that you're stuck in? You know, where's that thing that you can't break your mind around? Where's that somebody, you know, in a pornography addiction, a chemical addiction, an unhealthy relationship, the patterns that are, that are inappropriate, the cycle of debt that you're stuck in, the cynicism not working the way you know you should be working at work, cheating, stealing, got a lying problem, that thing where you speak negatively about people, behind people, can't seem to break the pattern. What is it for you? Where's the thing that's unhealthy, it's not good, you're stuck, and you know it? Think about that thing, okay? Everybody think about it. Spending problem. In this next section in John, what happens here is he begins to take us on a journey 
the Gospel of John, where he's, what happens in, uh, for a, a significant chunk of the Gospel now is there's these regular feasts where people go down to Jerusalem and journey down to the temple and they have these feasts. And they're the feasts that the, that the Lord lays out in the Old Testament. Most of them are. There's a couple additional ones that they've added on. And as the feasts start, now they're in the narrative, in the story, you see how Jesus interacts with the feasts. Okay, and there's in this one in particular, it says that Jesus goes up to this feast. It goes up to Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing about uh, about this feast is it doesn't say anything about what feast it is. It doesn't say usually it says that uh, there was Passover, there was the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Pentecost, any of these feasts. But this one, it doesn't say just as he went up to Jerusalem for the feast, because the point isn't which feast it is. The point is what day of the week it is when he goes to the feast, which is the Sabbath. And what he's trying to show is that there are these patterns, the religious patterns of the day, where there's the annual patterns of the feasts and there's the weekly patterns of worship. And as Jesus is participating in the annual patterns and also the weekly patterns, there's kind of like the religious norm of how things are going. And so uh, think in terms of like what are the religious patterns that we observe, you know, whether that's getting up in the morning to read our Bible, whether that's going to Bible study on a Wednesday, whether it's coming to church on a Sunday, you know, kind of the basic religious patterns. And what it's showing is, is there's these basic religious patterns that are taking place and that Jesus is participating in those patterns along with everyone else. But there's always, of course, a twist when it comes to the fact that the whole gospel of John is showing that he is the fulfillment of everything and he is the Lord over everything. Now, what is also interesting about the passage is in the very first phrase, it says, after this, after the healing of the official son that we talked about last week um, and, the, and the salvation of their family and their family line, it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at a map and you're at Galilee, which direction is Jerusalem from Galilee? South, right. But he went up to Jerusalem. If we go up to New York. We go down to D.C. We go over to Pittsburgh. Which way do we go to the shore? We go down to the shore, but it's over, right? We go down to the shore, ah, it's south, but it's really east, right? It's east. It's not about the fact that we're going south because we go down to the river to pray, right? And that's not about south. Anytime there's water, you go down to the water because the water's low, right? And so you go down to the water. Anytime you go to God, you go up. You get up by going down. You get on your knees, you get humble before the Lord, but God is up. And God establishes his home where? On Mount Zion. He meets with his people in Mount Sinai, okay? And he calls them to Mount Sinai. And then eventually he calls them to Mount Zion. And eventually he calls them to Mount Calvary. And every time we go to meet God, he is calling us up. And it doesn't matter what the map says, it's about which direction my feet have to walk and my heart has to go in order to find God. It's which direction my eyes have to look. And so that's why there's the songs of ascent in the Psalms where they say, we are going to the house of the Lord. We will enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We will enter, and there's the songs of ascent. We are here for you. You know, all those songs that are getting us to come up to God. We're journeying up to the Lord. And this whole story is set up by the fact that it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
And we will find that sets the stage for what this whole story is about. So when Jesus is headed up to Jerusalem where his father is, he's climbing, he's rising, he's ascending, and he's asking us to come on this journey. The progression so far in the signs is this, is that first there was the new covenant shown at the uh, Canaan with the wedding where there was the water that washes us, but now it's the wine that redeems us. Right? And so before he washes us on the outside, now we get a blood transfusion of his redemptive new covenant for us where he changes us from the inside out. Before we were working to stay connected to him, being servants of God, now we are at the wedding feast partying with Jesus. There's a new covenant. He creates a whole new thing. The second sign is the official son where he not only heals this official son, but when that guy's at the intersection in the crossroad and he can't heal his son, Jesus is like, it's not just your son, it's your life and your family who needs to be awoken to eyes of faith. And he steps into a relationship with his family into God. And so God is being revealed as the God of the miraculous who can create a whole new day, a celebratory day of covenant. And he can bring us into that new covenant. He's the God of the miraculous who can open our eyes to see things that we haven't seen before and enter into relationship with God. But when we get to this third miracle where Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, what he's doing is he is now calling his people to understand that he is the power by which we can walk a life with God. It's not okay to just know that a new covenant exists or to see that God is there and be dependent on him. We actually have to be free from the chains that have bound us to walk in the freedom of the new life. We need to be healed of our baggage so that we can walk in the abundant life that God has for us. And the miraculous God is the one who gives us the power to overcome. He is the God of miracles, and he's here specifically in Jerusalem in this moment to call us up. For some of us, we have felt very alone. We have felt isolated. We have felt stuck. We've looked around and seen how other people have had the touch from God. And it seems like their blessings, they're getting the blessings that they need, and they're seeing God's hand. But we're looking at our own life, and we're saying, I don't know, man. I feel left hanging. I feel alone. I feel very stuck. That's where this guy was. There's endless reasons why we get stuck, and there's endless reasons why we don't progress forward. Sometimes our reasons are our own fault. And in this situation, we know that this guy's sin had something to do with his problems. There's other situations in the scripture where people accuse people and say, well, your problems are because of your sin, and Jesus rebukes them and says, their problems have nothing to do with their sin. And so there's sometimes, you know, and who knows if this guy's injury wasn't even directly related to sinful behavior in his life and he was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing when he got injured. Who knows if, it, if the isolation that this guy uh, felt was because of how he had dealt with people inappropriately and so they left him isolated. Who knows if the mental patterns that he's stuck in, that he's struggling with, are because of his own behaviors and his own inability to have faith in God. I don't know, but what we do know by the end of the story is that whatever is assailing this guy, whatever this guy's struggling with, is at least in part because of his own sin. And that's unique to this story. So don't assume that just because somebody has a problem that it's because of their sin. 
okay? Because other passages will rebuke that. However, many of the things that we struggle with are due to our own choices. And in this situation, that was the case. The good news is, is Jesus doesn't leave him there. And no matter what our choices are, and no matter how destructive our lifestyle has been, and no matter how alone we feel, it's never too late because Jesus is the rescuer. Come as you are. He will not leave you as you are, but he will allow us to come as we are. Jesus is not approached by this man the way Jesus is often approached by people crying out saying, heal me. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, up to his father, and as he enters the city, his heart is toward the father's people, and he discovers the broken invalid stuck at the pool of Bethsaida for the last 38 years. How long have you been stuck? 38 years, the pattern in this guy's life. Struggle. And it's very obvious that the struggle is not just about his legs. It's about things much deeper than his legs. It's about his heart. It's about his mind. Dude is stuck. He is stuck. He is stuck. And Jesus asks him this incredible question, spectacular question. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And Jesus asks us that all the time. There is no shortage in God's power. There is no shortage in God's ability to change our life. There is a question as to whether or not we want the God of miracles to bring transformation. See, the reason that this guy was stuck is because initially he made a decision somewhere along the line to not listen to the Lord and to listen to something that he wanted to do. And that led to some sort of behavior, some sort of consequence that led to a mental pattern, that led to an emotional state that got him stuck in a place so much so that when Jesus says, when the God of the universe shows up in his life and looks right at him and says, do you want to be healed? His answer is not yes. His answer is, I don't have anybody. He's a victim. He has allowed himself to be victimized by his pain. And look, I mean, we can't judge at all because this guy living in a culture without legs, it must have been brutal. And he had no support in his life. And he was probably telling the truth that he had no one who could help him. And all he has is this kind of weird superstitious thing of the angel comes down and stirs the waters. And then you go. And if you're the first one to touch the pool, you might get healed. And I can't get there first because everyone seems to get there before me. This guy's looking for a lottery ticket to get him out of debt. That's what he's looking for. And when Jesus says, yeah, do you want to be healed? He doesn't say, yes. He's like, I don't really have anybody to help me out. I can't get to the lottery. I never win the lottery. No, that wasn't the question. But Jesus meets him there. And there's something deep inside of him that Jesus knows that he actually does want to be healed. That his heart does want to turn. And Jesus knows it because if he didn't know it, then he wouldn't have done this. 
Because Jesus, there is a willingness. And so Jesus sees it. And even though the guy's stuck in the pattern, and even though he doesn't know how to express his heart, and even though he's in a place of despair, and even though he's totally a mess, this guy is a mess. Jesus still finds him, still meets him. And when the guy doesn't even have the words to express it, Jesus still heals him. That's our God. That's who he is. That's who he is for you today. And if he can do it for that guy, he can do it for you. And he can do it for me. He loves us. And there is not one blessed thing that we have done to earn that love. And his blessing that he wants to give to us has nothing to do with whether we earn that love. Every ounce of blessing is called grace, which by definition is opposite of earning. He only gives by grace. That's how he gives. Everything is grace. And in this situation, it's amazing. The guy says, yeah, I don't have anybody. And Jesus does the same thing that he did to the official. He, he puts it to him. Because the guy's like, I don't have anybody to take me to the pool, but healing waters, and there's a whole myth behind that. We won't get into what that's about. And Jesus doesn't pick him up and take him to the pool. The guy essentially is kind of, has that like, woe is me, no one can take me there. And again, I'm not trying to put the guy down because he's in a really tough spot. But his answer is not yes, do what you need to do. His answer is, I don't have anyone to take me. Jesus does not pick him up and take him to the pool. Jesus looks at him and he says, get up. Get up. And the first thing that he says to us is get up. Get up. Come on, get up. I remember when my kids, we would go creek stopping when they were little kids. And I remember the first time I saw one of my boys, I won't say which, fall down on his face. And he's stuck in the water and he's sitting there like, ah, crying. And he's just like, the water's only this deep, you know. And he just won't get up and his face is like right there. And I'm like, get up, you're fine, you know. And he gets up and he's just like looking around. And then it's like, you're fine. Like, we're in the creek. You're going to get wet. There's no problem here at all. You're just stuck. Jen was at Target uh, a few months ago, and this woman fell when she was at Target. Not a bad fall. She slipped on something or whatever. And while she was there, she's kind of like sitting on the ground, like kind of bewildered, like, how did I fall? And this other woman comes over to her, and she said, I know. I don't know what it is with this place. There's this thing, and I forget what the problem was. Like, they, I don't know why they do that. And, you fall. and she's sitting there, like, commiserating with the lady. And they're, like, she's, like, on the ground. And eventually, Jen says, this guy comes over to her and says, all right, here we go, get up, picks her up, and she says, you're fine, pats her on the back, let's go, you know, and sometimes we get stuck, and we're like, what's wrong with my life, and you know, this isn't working, and we have friends who come around and commiserate with us, I know, life's tough and everything, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, get up, let's go, come on, get up, whatever you're stuck in, I know, maybe you don't have the power to get out of it, it doesn't matter. It's not your power anyway. It's his. The God of miracles is there. And he's calling to us. And he's like, get up. Don't, like, don't, don't stay there. Get up. Come on. Come on, let's go. And his second phrase, take up your bed. I love this. I love this because you made your bed now lie in it. Uh-uh. I don't care what bed you made. I don't care what your mistakes were. I don't care how much you have made your bed. You do not have to lie in that bed. Get up, roll up your mat, put it under your arm. You don't need to stay there. The, the past is the past. Roll it up, pack it away. Do not look what is behind. Press ahead. 
walk. Walk. Get up. Take up your bed. Begin to walk in the life that has been given to you. Don't walk in your own strength. Walk by faith. Don't say, I can't do this. Walk. Move. Start to live as if you weren't in debt. Start to live as if you don't have that porn addiction. Start to live past that codependent relationship. So much of the reason why we think we're stuck is because we've seen the patterns and we're like, I can't live that way. That's not who I am anymore. No. Get up. Roll up your bed. Forget what's behind and begin to do the one thing that you actually can do right now. Open up your Bible. Say the nice thing in that relationship. Tithe at church. Do what it is that God's calling you to do, to to pray for that person. Whatever it is, step beyond and begin to live in the freedom that God has called us to. All right, there's one more part that Jesus says that we got to touch. There is not a person in this room, by the way, who does not have a gift from God. There is not one person in this room who does not have, that God does not have a plan for, who is not called to be a part of the community of the kingdom of God. There is not one person here in this room who does not have value to add to the family. And when we stay in our bed and don't get up and don't walk, The the family is missing who you are. And there is something wonderful for you to contribute. And you might not know what that is. Doesn't matter. Get up, take up your bed, start walking. Start loving people. And it will become apparent in time. Start loving the body. Start serving the body. Start caring for your neighbors. And in the process, God will start to show how he works best through you. It's just get up, take up your bed. Jesus then comes to the temple, and he finds this guy. Good place to find the guy, by the way. After he's walking, he finds him in the temple, which is pretty legit. You know, the guy responded pretty well, and he's in the temple. And I love that Jesus, I think Jesus knew he was going to be in the temple too. And uh, the the whole problem, by the way, the the whole story shifts at this point because people get really mad at Jesus. Why? Because he's healing on the Sabbath. You know, and essentially the whole point of that is that those patterns, the religious patterns, tend to not be, just by observing religious patterns, it doesn't bring life and freedom. Religious patterns can be a great thing. They don't bring freedom in and of themselves, you know. And when the religious patterns are the thing that we're depending on, it's not going to work. We have to depend on God. We have to depend on God, not the religious patterns. And God can fill up those religious patterns, but God goes way beyond the religious patterns. And those religious patterns can be helpful in us attending God's presence and being regular with him. But we have to understand that God creates all the patterns and God trumps all the patterns. And so uh, what happens is, of course, they're like, ah, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And it's hilarious. They're not, they never care about the fact that there's this guy who's been healed. Say, oh, these rules. And the rules aren't even the rules that God laid out. It's their own way that they've set up the Sabbath, which isn't the way God called in the Old Testament. Funny how that works. Funny how when God calls us into the new covenant and opens our eyes to faith and then tells us to walk in the freedom in life, instantly if someone's trying to walk with God, there is always the religious patterned people who are there in that moment to be like, yeah, well, watch this and wait for that. And like, let the dude walk for a minute. Like, let him have a day of being like, 
full of excitement before we worry about like all the details of that thing, right? Like let him enjoy it. And maybe we need to be rebuked by his joy. And so Jesus finds him and then Jesus says something to him. And this is what Jesus is allowed to do. So it's not based out of the religious patterns and whether he's submitting to him or not. Jesus, his creator and his healer, comes up to him. And what does he say? Don't sin anymore. Now this isn't like, you know, Jesus being unrealistic, recognizing that all of a sudden we don't do anything wrong. He's like, do not return to the patterns of sin. Do not let that dictate your life anymore. It's going to get worse if you revert. It's going to get worse. Do not go back there. Jesus does not have us come to him as we are so that he can be an enabler for us to go back to unhealthy behaviors. Jesus is not okay with healing our physical stuff so that we can feel good about doing whatever we want. Jesus is here to heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Jesus is going for the whole game because his spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. That's where he resides with us is in our spirit. So he wants to heal us on the deepest levels. And he says, come as you are, awaken, come alive, and do not let that deceiver get you back into his patterns anymore and steal from your life. Reject Satan and his lies and the patterns of sin. Get up, stay up. And when you fall, dust it off and get back up by confession, acknowledgement, receiving forgiveness, and continuing to walk forward. That's the story that Jesus brings us in this thing. And it's a really important one. There's false doctrines all over the place with this, and we're not going to get into them. But the superstition, if we're waiting around for those patterns to break, well, if this happens and if this person does that, then I'll be free. It's not going to happen. If I'm just faithful enough doing this or this or this, I'll get out of the pattern. No. God is the miraculous one, and he can heal you today, but you got to live in it and believe in it and walk in it. Okay, and today is a day of healing for some people today. Okay, this is how we're going to end, is that I want you to know that um, in James chapter 5, we're going to close here. Turn to James chapter 5 if you have your scripture. This is where um, healing in the New Testament, in the church, this is the pattern that was given to us for how the church handles healing. And it starts in verse 13, and it goes to verse 16. It's three verses here, four verses. If anyone among you is, is anyone among you suffering, okay, is anyone kind of stuck, having difficulty, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. That word up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You do know what makes us righteous, right? 
Jesus, the blood of Jesus. This is not like the well-behaved, good religious pattern person has power. It means the one who knows the blood of Jesus has the power to pray with power and with freedom. And we in this place recognize that we have the freedom from God to live abundant life. And so whatever your pattern is, Whatever that thing is, whatever the addiction is, whatever the relationship is, the financial stuff, the way we talk, all that stuff, we cannot be fatalistic and resign ourselves to the fact that that's the way it is. He calls us up today. Whatever it is, confess it, receive forgiveness, receive healing. God wants to set you free, and he wants to set us free, and he wants to build his kingdom in righteousness by the blood of God by the awakening of showing us faith, and then by giving us the power to be healed and set free to walk in the abundant life that he's called us to. That's the God of miracles. That's the God of miracles. Now, as we, as you, as we close it out, this is the thing. If you need help in that prayer, um, I, I'm going to ask afterwards. We have, this is one of those times where if people want to talk to elders, you can come and talk to elders, that sort of thing we do here. But if you need prayer, I didn't talk to the elders about this, but any elders who can kind of stick around, please, or anyone who wants to help in prayer, if, if you need prayer for something and you want to invite someone to pray with you, after the service, just come up here, you know, and uh, elders stand up real quick, please. If, if you see elders and See, yeah, okay, so find one of these guys, you know, and they'll pray for you. Their wives can pray with you. Um, so uh, I would invite you to capitalize. You might just turn to a neighbor and ask for prayer too. You know, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Paul and I are leaving for Indonesia with Jay on Saturday. Um, and we go there every year to MAF Kalimantan. Um, and we speak at their conference. And so um, we're leaving to go speak at that conference because we support these guys, so that these, these families over there, so that they can hopefully remain healthy and continue to do the work that God's called them to do. Um, and so as we go into that, um, uh, Josh, you're praying for us. So Josh is going to come pray for us, and uh, we'll be gone for a couple weeks, and we'll see you in a couple weeks, okay? Pray for us over there. Last year, I was in the hospital for a week when I came back. The year before that, Jay had malaria, um, uh, but God just healed my Achilles tendon, right? So um, uh, please be praying for us, and, uh, and the kids are coming up now. Awesome. And um, I'm going to close this in prayer from our, from our message here, and then Josh will just pray over us for that uh, sending. Father God, we invite you right now. We believe in you in ways that we, we realize in our minds that we get stuck and we hear your question, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole and healthy? You are the God of health. You came for specifically for the sick, not for the healthy, because you wanted to make us healthy. So we invite you today to make us healthy in the name of Jesus. Amen.